Today's podcast was recorded yesterday. If you want to listen to my podcasts commercial-free the day I record them, go to petershift.locals.com and sign up. It only costs $5 a month. The Peter Schiff Show. Today's podcast is sponsored by Raycon. With Raycons, you get the same quality audio as other premium brands, but for half the price. Go to buyraycon.com gold to get 15% off on your order. Earlier this morning, we got the official release of the June Consumer Price Index in the United States. Although earlier in the week, a lot of other countries were also reporting their own inflation news Japan on Monday came out with its wholesale price increase for June. Producer prices rose 0.7% month over month and 9.2% year over year. This is a huge problem for Japan. I spoke about it on my last podcast after the passing of Shinzo Abe. This is the byproduct of Abenomics coming back to bite the Japanese because after years of trying to get inflation to 2%, they now have inflation well above 2% and no way to rein it back in without precipitating a financial crisis given the enormity of the debt that they racked up in order to deliberately increase their inflation rate. India also reported 7.01% year-over-year inflation in June. Germany, 7.6% year-over-year, although month-over-month, it was just up 0.1%. France was up 0.7% on the month, but their year-over-year inflation rate is just 5.8%. But still, the ECB for years was claiming that the problem in the Eurozone was not enough inflation. Well, now they have a much bigger problem of much too much inflation. And as I said real time, too little inflation was never a problem. It was merely an excuse to create more inflation. And now they've got a much bigger problem than they bargained for. They've got lots of European governments that are now highly in debt because of their reckless monetary policy to create inflation, and now they have no way again of reining it in without unleashing a financial crisis in the Eurozone. Which brings me back to the United States and our June CPI number. Now, the expectation going in was for a pretty hot number. The expectation was 1.1% increase in June. That is a big jump. And the expectation for the year-over-year rise was going to be 8.8%. And that would have been an increase of the 8.6% year-over-year from the prior month. Well, not only did the June CPI come out hot, it came out red hot. 1.3% was the increase on the month. And the year-over-year increase in CPI came out at 9.1%. Nobody thought we would have a year-over-year increase that high. The range of estimate was 8.5 to 8.8. This is the first time we've had a 9 handle on the CPI. This is the highest increase in consumer prices going all the way back to 1981. Now, of course, if we were honestly measuring prices using the same CPI that we did in 1981, today's number would be something like 18%. I mean, I'm not sure exactly where it would be, 
But I think a general rule of thumb is whatever the official rate of inflation is, you just double it, and that's the actual rate of inflation. So imagine how the media would be covering inflation if they had to use the real number instead of pretending it's just 9.1%, because 9.1% is still really bad, except it's a lot worse than 9.1%. What are the obvious ways that it's worse? Apart from the fact that we have all the substitution and the hedonics and the stuff that they didn't use back in 1981 to whitewash these numbers, one of the most startling examples of the fraud in the CPI is the shelter component, which again is one third of the CPI. It is the biggest component there. And according to the government, the cost of shelter is up 5.6%. Now, that's still the biggest increase since 1992. And rents, apparently, they say are up 5.78%. That's the biggest increase since 1986. But those numbers pale in comparison to what is actually happening. If you look at any of the official numbers for the year-over-year increase in rents and home prices, it's about 18%. That is what's going on in shelter. Costs are up 18%. But if you're buying a home, costs are up a lot more than 18%. Because just because the price of a house is up 18%, doesn't mean the cost of owning that house is up 18% because most Americans don't pay cash for their house. They use a mortgage. And what counts is the monthly payment, not the price of the house, but how much do they have to pay every month once they become a homeowner. And so if you look at the 18% increase in the price, but then you add the new mortgage rate, which a year ago was around 3%, And now it's, I don't know, five and a half, six. I'm not really sure exactly what it is, but the mortgage rate is much higher. So if you take a look at the average monthly payment today to buy the average home and compare that with what it would have cost a year ago, I bet that monthly payments on a mortgage are up by more than 50% year over year. So in other words, the actual increase in the cost of home ownership is 10 times greater than what the government is claiming. And of course, when you buy a home, there's a lot more than just the mortgage that factors in to your costs. You have to pay your insurance. You have to pay your maintenance. You have to pay property taxes. Everything is going up. This is one of the reasons that so many Americans, in fact, record numbers of Americans, are now working two and three jobs to make ends meet. You know, according to the official statistics, this is the 15th consecutive month in a row where real wages are down. And they're down 3.6% now year over year. But that's if you adjust wages by the make-believe inflation number. But if you figure that inflation is 18%, not 9%, then real wages aren't down 3.6%, but 12.6%. You're seeing a collapse in real wages. That's why so many Americans need that second or third job to make ends meet because these are unprecedented pay cuts and they're going to continue. The high inflation is not just here for one year. It's here for multiple years compounding. So this is going to be a dramatic reduction 
in real wages. But for a lot of American families, it's not just that wages are down, but they're working fewer hours. If you adjust for a decline in the average work week, average real household income is down by 4.4%, which of course means if you throw in another 9% to adjust for the phony CPI, we're looking at an actual decline of 13.4%. But what about the people that don't even have wages? What about the people who are living on fixed income? Their fixed incomes are being eviscerated by inflation. And this is the reason that the economy is so weak. This is the reason that Joe Biden continues to sink to new lows in his popularity. In fact, Biden was reacting to today's numbers today. First of all, he immediately dismissed it as being old news. Like, hey, we've had this big drop in oil prices since June, and so that's not factored into the number. And that is true. We have seen a reduction in oil prices, and I do expect that the next few months of CPI will come off a bit. I mean, we're not going to be 9.1 year over year. We're going to get some relief, and I'm sure that's going to result in a lot of people claiming peak inflation, the worst is over. In fact, when this report came out, all the peak inflation guys were out in force once again declaring that inflation is peak. Now, these guys have been claiming peak inflation for a year or two. I mean, every time we get another new high in inflation, somehow it's peaked. Remember, the peak inflation crowd was the inflation is transitory crowd. So first they thought there was no inflation. Then they thought it was transitory. Then they keep thinking it's peaked. We haven't peaked. We may have a temporary peak. We may have a bit of a pause before we surge. But 9.1% is not going to be the high. We're going to be posting double-digit increases in the consumer price index. And once we get above 10% in official CPI, then you know we're probably above 20% in unofficial CPI. That is what Americans are experiencing. That is the pain that American households are being forced to endure. Now, while Biden did suggest that today's inflation numbers are old news, he did point out that inflation is America's most pressing economic challenge, and he promised that tackling inflation is his number one priority. Now, that is a lie. How do we know that that's a lie? Well, look at the fiscal policy of the Biden administration, because Biden doesn't control monetary policy, and he admits that. That's the Federal Reserve. But he does have a lot of influence when it comes to fiscal policy. You see, you have a two-pronged attack on inflation. You can go about it from the monetary side, and you can go about it from the fiscal side. And we need double barrels. This is a big inflation problem. Even Biden is admitting it's the most pressing economic challenge. So why are we relying solely on the Federal Reserve and not on fiscal policy. In fact, fiscal policy is actually at odds with monetary policy. Now, I'm not a Keynesian, but pretty much all the economists in the Biden administration are Keynesians. They are card-carrying Keynesians. And what does Keynes say is the appropriate fiscal policy when you're trying to fight inflation? Well, it's a contractionary fiscal policy. What is a contractionary fiscal policy? That's when the government is running a surplus. 
It is taking demand out of the economy using the tax code, using the budget of the government. So what do we have now? We have a highly expansionary fiscal policy. The official budget deficit is still close to $1.8 trillion. That is one of the most stimulative fiscal policies in our nation's history. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. If Biden truly is attempting to address inflation, if it really is one of our most pressing economic challenges, why not do something about it? Where is the fiscal response to inflation? Where are the calls for cuts to government spending? Where are the calls for higher taxes on consumption? on the middle class? Where are the calls to not only balance the budget, but to create a budget surplus? That is what Biden would need to be leading the charge for if he really wanted lower inflation. Because the policies that the Biden administration are pursuing now are highly inflationary. In fact, the Federal Reserve is not going to make any real headway in fighting inflation as long as the government is causing inflation by pursuing a highly expansionary fiscal policy because ultimately that expansionary fiscal policy is going to be putting a lot of pressure on the Federal Reserve to monetize these deficits. But even before that happens, the deficit spending is feeding demand into the economy, leading to even more upward pressure on prices. And you know, the other problem that the Federal Reserve is going to have is the rate hikes in and of themselves are putting upward pressure on consumer prices, in particular on rents, because one of the things that the rate hikes are doing is making it more expensive to buy a home and take on a mortgage, and that is pricing more and more potential first-time home buyers out of the market, and therefore they are stuck as perpetual renters Well, because their landlords know that they've got a captive audience, that their tenants no longer have the option of buying, that they're stuck renting, it makes it easier for those landlords to raise rents because their tenants have no alternative but to pay. So ironically, when the Federal Reserve is reacting to an increase in the CPI by increasing rates, those higher interest rates feed into the CPI as a cost not only as it costs when it comes to rents, but all businesses are dealing with debt. Thanks to the Federal Reserve, everybody is loaded up with debt. And so when businesses have rising material costs and rising wages, they also have rising capital costs. They also have interest expenses that are going up. And all of that ends up being included and passed down to the consumer. And so the Fed is actually putting upward pressure on the CPI when it's raising interest rates to fight inflation. It's actually stoking the inflation fire. In order to really get a handle on inflation, they need much bigger rate hikes 
than they've had in the past, but they also need to really reduce the size of their balance sheet. Now, I've noticed that the Fed's balance sheet has dropped the last couple of weeks, but these are tiny drops in comparison to the size of the balance sheet. They need a much more aggressive quantitative tightening program, but we're not going to get it. And in addition to that, we need a contractionary fiscal policy. We need big cuts in government spending, which is my preference, or we need middle class tax hikes, which I don't like as much as spending cuts, but I like tax hikes more than I like deficit spending and inflation. It's more of a lesser of the evil, but if we're gonna have government, we've gotta pay for it, and it's better to pay for it honestly, and in fact, it's cheaper to pay for it honestly through taxation than dishonestly through debt and inflation, but we've got to get one or two or a combination of both, or we're going to make no real progress in fighting inflation. With all that's going on in the world right now, I've been listening to a lot more podcasts, and I've been listening at night in bed, but thanks to my Raycon, I can do it without waking up my wife. And that's why I've teamed up with Raycon. Go to Raycon.com gold to save 15% on Raycons. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, not only are these earbuds so comfortable, but they will not budge. Trust me, Raycons offer three sound profiles to match what you're listening to, plus noise isolation and awareness mode. So you can choose to either be immersed in sound or be able to hear your surroundings when you need to. I like using my Raycons when I'm on the go. If I'm out for a walk on the beach, I can stay current with the news, listen to a podcast, or just enjoy some music. Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Then, when you need a charge, it's super easy. You can even do it wirelessly. And this is a huge selling point with Raycons. You get the same quality audio as other premium audio brands, but you get it at half the price. Yes, really, half the price. But that doesn't mean that your Raycons won't last. I've seen people talking about their Raycons falling from a three-story building or getting lost in the rain or in a snowstorm, yet still working afterwards. Check out Raycons wireless earbuds. And my guess is that if you do, you'll want to leave them a five-star review too. Go to Raycon.com gold today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com gold and score 15% off buyraycon.com slash gold. I think one of the more interesting components of this CPI that stood out was the increase in the cost of motor vehicle maintenance and repair. It was a 2% increase in the month of June. That is the largest monthly increase since September of 1974. Think about that. And also think about what is going on when it comes to the typical American, they can't afford to buy a new car. They can't even afford to buy a used car. So they have no choice but to keep driving the clunker they've got now. And the cost of repairing those cars is soaring. Now, as soon as this hotter than expected June CPI broke, markets immediately started increasing the expectation of a 100 basis point rate hike in the July meeting. In fact, by the time the day was over, the probability of a 100 basis point hike, I think was close to 70%. So it means that that is now what the markets expect. Prior to this number, the expectation was for a 75 basis point hike. Now, if the Fed raises rates by one and a half percent in a couple of weeks, 
the Fed funds rate will go from one and a half to one and three quarters, where it is now, to two and a half to two and three quarters. Now, I think that is a breaking point for the overly indebted U.S. economy. It's not a high rate of interest. In fact, interest rates are still dramatically negative. If you got an inflation rate, even officially, of 9.1 and the Fed funds rates two and a half, you know, that is a massive negative number. So you still have low rates, but not low enough for the economy that is as indebted as this economy is. And of course, the market's reaction to the worst than expected inflation news was the dollar immediately was bid. We had a rise in the dollar. Gold immediately tanked at one point, I think down about 15 bucks. Now again, why is that? Because intuitively the opposite should occur because inflation being worse than expected shouldn't be good for the dollar. That should be bad for the dollar. It means the dollar is losing value faster than you thought. In fact, ironically, one of the reasons inflation isn't a lot higher already is because the dollar's been so strong. And inflation being higher than you thought it was going to be, that surprise should be a positive surprise for the gold market. But again, the markets are not thinking logically. What the markets are focused on is what the Fed is going to do. And all the markets see is hotter than expected inflation. That means the Fed is going to hike more. And the more hikes are bullish for the dollar, they're bearish for gold. And that's all the market can see. Again, the market's not playing chess. The market's playing checkers. And that is the only move that they see. They are confident that the Federal Reserve is going to kill inflation with these rate hikes. It's not. Inflation is going to live on. It's going to be stronger than ever. What the Fed is going to kill is the economy. That's what the rate hikes are going to kill, not inflation. It's this bubble economy that the Fed inflated with artificially low interest rates. As the Fed raises rates to kill inflation, it's going to kill the economy instead. And in fact, inflation is going to make the economy's death that much more rapid. And of course, at some point, when the economy is obliterated, I mean, we are headed for not just a recession, but a great recession, a financial crisis. At some point, the Fed is going to pivot. In fact, the markets are already anticipating that by the first quarter of next year, the Fed is already going to be cutting interest rates because the economy is going to be in recession. Now, of course, we're probably already in recession and we're going to get those official numbers soon. But I think that the Fed may have to start cutting rates even before the first quarter of next year. They may have to start cutting rates in the fourth quarter of this year. Who knows? They may even have to cut rates before the November election to try to artificially boost the economy and therefore the hopes of the Democrats going into that election. Because as bad as inflation is, recession and unemployment rising could be an even bigger issue on the voters' minds come November. Because we are very close to something breaking in this economy. Now, of course, it has to break. This is a phony economy. This was a bubble that the Fed inflated. And now that it's letting the air out of that bubble, this is inevitable. But the Fed is still oblivious to the damage that it created. 
it still thinks that it can fight inflation. Now, maybe it doesn't think that. Maybe it knows it can't, but it knows it can't admit that. So it continues to pretend that it's vigilant on fighting inflation, but it can only get away with that pretense so long as it can keep pretending that it's fighting inflation without hurting the economy. The minute the economy is obviously in a lot of pain, the minute people are losing their jobs, the minute we're in a recession and it's getting worse, well, then the Fed is going to be singing a completely different tune. And the political pressures coming from the Biden administration are also going to come from a different perspective. Now, an interesting thing did happen, though, in the foreign exchange and precious metals market immediately following those knee-jerk reactions because the dollar index ended up selling off rather sharply before settling down just slightly on the day. But all of its early morning gains turned into some pretty substantial midday losses before the dollar crawled back. But it finished the day slightly lower. Same thing happened in the gold market. Gold, which was down about $15, ended up rallying to up close to $20 on the high before settling up about $10 at $17.36. Now, is that a sign that we've seen a top in the dollar and a bottom in gold? Probably not. It wasn't significant enough in my mind as a reversal. I think if the markets were really figuring this out, it would have been a much bigger rise in gold. It would have been a much bigger drop in the dollar. So the markets are still operating under the delusion that the Fed is going to win its fight against inflation. They still don't realize that inflation is going to win and that the Fed is going to surrender and instead try to fight to stimulate the economy but this time it's not going to work. Remember, the only reason that monetary stimulus was able to work in the past is because the Fed was doing it when the official inflation rate was below 2%. And so they could get away with quantitative easing and 0% rates because inflation was still below target. They will not be able to get away with it when inflation is well above target because the bond market vigilantes will be back. The currency market vigilantes will be back. The gold market vigilantes will be back. The Federal Reserve will not get away with that type of monetary stimulus when we already have high inflation. So that's what nobody seems to understand, that this time it's different because the inflation chickens have finally come home to roost and nobody has any idea how difficult it's going to be to deal with it. That may be one of the reasons that the stock market basically shrugged off the bad news on inflation. The Dow Jones at its lowest was only down about 450 points, and it paired those losses down about 200 points on the close. Other markets were just marginally lower. And while the bond market initially sold off, it actually rallied back and yields closed slightly lower on the day. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the United States is not the only country that is dealing with an inflation problem, nor is the Federal Reserve the only central bank that's raising interest rates. The Reserve Bank of New Zealand raised rates by 50 basis points last night. That move was expected. They went from 2% to 2.5%. But one central bank that actually gave the markets more than expected was the Bank of Canada. They raised interest rates 100 basis points this morning. 
The anticipation was for 75 basis point rate hike. So their interest rates are now at two and a half percent. So both the Bank of Canada and the Reserve Bank of New Zealand already ahead of the Federal Reserve. And of course, other central banks have been dragging their feet, but they are going to be forced to raise interest rates as well. In fact, I believe that foreign central banks will still be raising rates once the U.S. has stopped raising rates and when the U.S. begins its next round of lowering interest rates. So that will put even more downward pressure on the U.S. dollar. And in fact, this huge sucker rally in the dollar is simply laying the foundation for the dollar's collapse because everybody is now on the wrong side of this trade. Everybody is long U.S. dollars. The same thing for gold, except in the opposite direction. Nobody is long gold. Institutions' positions on the long side in gold are near record lows. So despite the fact that we have this huge inflation problem, nobody is betting on gold as an inflation hedge. Why? Because people still don't believe there's any inflation to hedge because they're still betting on the Federal Reserve. They still have their faith and confidence in the Federal Reserve's ability to do the impossible. Well, when that confidence is shaken, everybody is going to move to the other side of the trade. People are going to have to dump dollars. There's not going to be anyone to buy and people are going to be rushing to buy gold and there's not going to be anyone to sell. That's why I continue to recommend that the people who are listening to my podcast load up on gold and silver now while you can while the world is still completely asleep to the situation clueless as to what's going to happen you need to buy your gold and silver buy more gold and silver it's amazing that the prices that exist today still exist given how much inflation we've had over the years and how much more inflation is coming in the years ahead again if you haven't contacted shift gold that is my gold company that i recommend and one of the reasons that i recommend that you buy your gold and silver from shift gold is because nobody at shift gold is going to try to talk you into becoming a coin collector remember almost all of the gold and silver companies out there that compete with shift gold they always bait and switch their customers they don't want the customers buying regular gold because you don't make much money selling regular gold and that's because the commissions on regular gold are very low where these gold companies make their money is by conning their customers into buying these so-called collectible coins rare numismatic type coins there the markups are truly obscene and the salesmen get rich ripping off customers with these overpriced coins and they have all sorts of reasons why you need to buy these coins you know they're not confiscatable you know they talk about roosevelt in 1933 and a bunch of bs but the real reason they want you to buy those coins is because they make a lot of money selling you those coins so i know that that will never happen at shift gold you're going to get the right gold and you're going to get a very fair price from the shift gold representatives and again the bargains are even better right now in these gold stocks they had a decent reversal today the gdx gdxj i think hit new lows for the move earlier this morning when the price of gold was down could the gold stocks have bottomed out today maybe i mean there's a little bit of a better chance there i think 
than a bottom in gold itself, but we'll see. But even if they have it bottomed, I mean, come on, you don't have to be greedy. They are literally giving away these gold stocks. And the best way, in my opinion, to get into the gold stocks is through a separately managed account with my company, Euro Pacific Capital, by buying the Euro Pacific Gold Fund. We have separately managed gold accounts that we have a portfolio. Adrian Day is the portfolio manager and we manage diversified portfolios. You want to diversify when it comes to that sector, especially when you're in the junior mining sector. There you have uh, the most potential pitfalls and you want to have a guy who really knows the industry picking those stocks for you. And I think Adrian is second to none uh, when it comes to that expertise. So he manages the separate accounts and he also manages the Euro Pacific Gold Fund, which you can buy from your Euro Pacific Capital representative, your Euro Pacific Asset Management representative, or if you happen to have a brokerage account, uh, Schwab, Fidelity, E-Trade, any of these discount brokers, all of my mutual funds, including the Gold Fund, are on that platform. Yes, you know there's a lot of risk. Obviously, anybody who owns those funds has seen a significant decline in the market value of those funds over the last several months. I did not anticipate such a big decline, but nonetheless, we had one. And that is par for the course when it comes to this sector. But I believe that the upside potential is gonna far outweigh this downside risk. And eventually, when we do get the gold price move that I expect, it's gonna be a much more spectacular move up in these mining shares. There's tremendous leverage on the way up. And since I don't recommend that people use margin, none of my customers, at least based on my advice, have borrowed any money to buy their gold stocks. Our positions are in very strong hands. In fact, I think one of the reasons that we've had so much downward pressure on gold stocks is because many of these stocks were held by weak hands. I think a lot of people did get a little carried away. I think there was some leverage in this sector and now that leverage has been flushed out and a lot of people have been forced to sell their positions because they were in over their heads but the people who weren't in over their heads that owned a position that they could manage that was the right size for their portfolio well they're not going to be shaken out they can ride out the bumps and they could be fully invested and reap the rewards if i am right and these gold and silver mining stocks end up delivering the spectacular type of returns that I am confident they'll ultimately deliver when we get the gold move that I expect. I just want to end today's podcast with a little personal note that after more than two years, I finally have come down with COVID. And so it's actually been kind of difficult for me to even get this podcast out. I really am exhausted. I've kind of had this thing for almost a week. I'm not really sure when it started because I think my immune system was kind of compromised because I've been under a lot of stress lately and I'll get into that at some point. Uh, but I think I was low on sleep and I was susceptible to catching COVID. Uh, but now I have it and it really has uh, knocked the hell out of me. I had a fever. In fact, I still have a bit of a fever. It's come down. My entire back broke out in a rash. And I had pains pretty much all over my body, which have now kind of gone away, but I'm still really exhausted. And I'm walking around very slowly. I have a bad cough, 
which leads me you know, out of breath, but I'm not having any difficulty at all breathing. I'm not having any chest pains. I didn't experience any kind of loss of taste. I have a lot of mucus, so I'm blowing my nose quite often. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I think I'm fine. I'm gonna get over this. Hopefully by the weekend, I'm feeling a lot better when it comes time to record uh, another podcast. But if you thought in listening to this podcast that I wasn't as energetic as I normally am, now you know why. <laughs>